listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. one with this particular guest for quite some time. I was recently out working with some elite athletes and we're sort of getting them set up for the next phase of their season. We're just talking about some of the challenges they were facing in this last phase to um, help them move forward uh, with a little more purpose. We always say that a problem accurately defined is already partially solved and it's very, very difficult, ladies and gentlemen, to solve a problem if we don't truly know what the problem is. So we spend a lot of time identifying and clearly, clearly outlining the issues and problems we're facing so we can work out and design a concise plan of attack that will address everything that we need to address to move us to the next level. That's really what it's all about. So we're talking to this group of athletes about some of the challenges they faced in the last phase of training. And of course, you know, time crunches, anxiety, travel, food, uh, were all issues as we see with every athlete. Uh, recovery was a big one. Sleep time management was sort of the overlying theme of this group. And uh, it was interesting to hear that sleep and sleep management was one of the main problems. And as you know, in our program, sleep is king. Sleep is the number one priority in human performance. So we spent some time in this. I asked the athletes, just as a group, what some of the issues they felt were, were most difficult. Some of the things that they were facing that were causing them issues in terms of their sleep. Of course, scheduling, uh, roommates, travel, insomnia. I mean, just having problems going to sleep. And then I opened the floor up to the discussion on strategies, strategies for dealing or coping with some of the issues they were facing. And the first answer that came across the board, that came across the table, the first answer that came out of the mouths of these elite athletes was melatonin and sleep aids over-the-counter sleep aids. And I just had to step back and go, man, have we not been doing our job? Do we not talk about this enough? And that conversation and that particular answer is the inspiration behind this show. I am very happy to introduce Crush Favorite, Dr. Charles Samuels, the Medical Director for the Center for Sleep and Human Performance in Calgary, Alberta. Dr. Samuels, welcome back to the show. My pleasure. Yep. Well, we've really been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, last time we left you, um, a great response to our last conversation from our listeners, by the way. And uh, you were off to the World Sleep Congress. Uh, maybe we'll start there because I was really intrigued. I, I actually wish I could have been there. I looked at the um, list of speakers and topics. Um, the game is changing when it comes to sleep, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, it, we're very lucky because Canada leads the way. So we hosted really the first meeting of the World Sleep Society. It's an amalgamation of two world organizations, and this was the first official meeting, and the president is a Canadian, Dr. Charles Morin, who stepped down um, at this meeting and uh, led the organization um, in the, over the last three years to, uh, to this meeting in Vancouver. So we're very fortunate. Um, Dr. Morin was awarded the Distinguished Sleep Scientist Award, which is the first time ever the Canadian Institutes of Health Research have recognized a sleep researcher in Canada. So 
it was a big event for Canadians, and we had 3,500 attendees from around the world, um, and 75 countries were represented. So it was a big meeting, and um, we're very well respected uh, in this area. Well, it's very interesting, and I know that this is a world push for sure, and outside of sport, we're talking about shift workers, we're talking corporate injuries, we're talking about safe on the on the roads and our, our shift workers, we're talking about our, our athletes and our students, um, but we're also talking about our military first responders, there's not a person on this planet that isn't impacted by sleep, it's why it's such an important topic. Yeah, no, that's for sure, I'm just writing the chapter in the uh, medical textbook on um, sleep called Principles and Practice of Sleep Medicine on first responders and athletes and why sleep is important. And what we've done is taken the approach that we use with athletes and applied it to first responders because these are generally healthy people who are in an unhealthy environment from a sleep and recovery perspective. So um, it's about how do you optimize their um, recovery um, so that they can perform at a high level on a daily basis. Yeah, well, in our programs, anybody who listens to Crush Performance, uh, they know that we have four major top priorities when we uh, start talking to organizations or individual athletes or um, even just in workplace environments, and they are rest, recovery, sleep, uh, sleep being king. Everything that we do in our programming, from our elite athletes to our, our, our developing athletes to some of the people we work with outside of sport, um, their daily schedules are based around the amount of quality rest they can get. I think that one of the problems, Dr. Samuels, and, and I think you you've probably seen this as well, is we try to sock in more work, sock in more work, sock in more work with no regards to the recovery periods needed. Yeah, and that's there are so many different ways to look at recovery, um, and we have to be creative because to just you know say to people, well, get your sleep, it's not that simple anymore in a very, very much a 24-hour society. So even when we're looking at athletes who really should be attending to getting their rest, um, just travel schedules and competition schedules um, sort of creep into their opportunities to sleep. So we become very creative at getting them the rest they need using models from very extreme sports, so extended endurance activities. Um, I worked with a group that that rowed across the Atlantic Ocean um, and um, were rowing continuously for 90 days, 24 hours a day. So we we take these opportunities to figure out the best way to manage rest um, and then apply it to the average individual. So that's what we're trying to do. Uh, Yeah, so great advice right there because we always talk about, you know, blanket strategies don't work for everybody and sometimes it's not real in the trenches of real life. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, we're talking with Dr. Charles Samuels, medical director at the Center for Sleep and Human Performance. Well, the other reason I really wanted to get in touch with you is uh, because of uh, an incident, uh, uh, not an incident per se, but uh, um, a great talk I had with a group of elite high school athletes about a month ago. Uh, We're just talking about their off-season programming and how they can optimize and strategies for individualization. And in our initial conversation, we just talked about some of the barriers these young athletes were, were facing and anxiety and time pressures were a big one. But uh, right up there with those was the conversation of sleep and lack of sleep and trying to get enough sleep because they all know that it's a priority. So, um, Dr. Sam, as we got into the discussion, I just challenged them saying, "Okay, well, what are some of the problems you're having? Because in, you know, one of the things we know um, about life in general, certainly with our athletes, is if we can clearly define a problem, we have a good shot at fixing it. And 
And so they came up with some really clear, concise sort of descriptions of why they're having sleep. And then I asked them, well, hey, what kind of strategies are you guys using? And the first answer I got was really concerning to me, especially based on our previous conversations, was melatonin and, you know, the AM, PMs, over-the-counter yeah. sleep aids. And I'm going, oh, boy, we've got some serious yeah. work to do. Yeah, and I think that's the problem is that the general knowledge is very, very poor and going straight to a medication regardless of whether it's quote-unquote natural or not is not the solution. It's looking at the strategies. And so they don't understand even remotely that you have to strategize recovery the way they strategize training. So they'll probably be acutely aware of, you know, where they're at in their annual training plan (laughs) and whether they're tapering or whether they're peaking, you know, but they won't even pay any attention to their recovery plan. And um, that, to me, shows a lack of sophistication uh, in that area, whoever it is, whoever they are, of understanding the importance of recovery. Well, and this is, opens up a can of worms because much like the obesity issues that we're facing, uh, Dr. Samuels, you know, we're up against some very serious and heavy hitters in the marketplace. Yeah. And um, I'm, I think I'm very comfortable in saying here that a lot of the information we're seeing in our everyday media and everyday exposures isn't quite in our best interests at times. And, and so I think, I think a lot of these athletes and people just, you know, they're going, okay, hey, this sounds great. It should work. Uh, so let's yeah. try it. Well, I think that's the problem is that, you know, business and as a researcher, we get faced with this all the time and definitely in sleep. It's a huge industry now. And so there are toys and the toys get out there before they're validated. Part of the World Sleep Society Um, meeting was devoted to wearable technology and where are we at with that in terms of sleep. And um, one of the most important things for people to understand is that none of these devices have ever been validated, and yet they purport to say whether you're sleeping and what stages of sleep you're in and what the quality of your sleep is. And the fact is that none of them, absolutely none of them, have been validated according to scientific standards. So that doesn't mean they don't work and they're not useful. It just means that people need to be aware. And of course, that's not what a company is going to do. They're just going to get out there and sell it, their device. And so, um, and people buy them. Um, the same with supplements. I mean, working with athletes as you do, you know that, you know, all you have to do is market a supplement and they're going to buy it. Um, so my job and, uh, is to be reasonable. And I know that you take this approach of just bringing the facts to the table. Um, and, you know, let's, not be silly here. And one of the best talks at the SPIN conference this year was um, Alex Hutchinson, who's a journalist and an ex-long-distance runner and also a scientist, um, who really laid a great, wonderful talk and approach around all of this issue. Um, And really, we have to be reasonable. There's no quick fixes. Uh, And the idea that kids would say melatonin as a solution to a uh, lack of sleep is a very concerning, as you detected, and tells you a lot about the culture. Yeah. So for our listeners, maybe we can quickly rehash, and I know this is not a quick topic, Dr. Samuels, but, mm-hmm. but just some of the concerns you have over the over-the-counter um, sleep aids, so yep. to speak, and, and, and why, why the, you need to take a deeper look at these things. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, the issue is, um, you know, if, 
if your solution is to go to the pharmacy, that's number one, you should stop. That's like a red flag. <laughs> okay, so you identify, like, what is the problem? And, that you know, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from a sleep medicine perspective and as, you know, co-chair of the National Committee for the Treatment of Insomnia in Canada, the, the cornerstone of management is not drugs, it's behavioral therapy. So the point here is that we shouldn't be using drugs of any kind, even doctors in managing insomnia. We should be looking at the problem and attempting to correct it from a behavioral perspective because we know the bulk of issues are behavioral that get in the way of people's sleep and ability to recover. And then if that doesn't work, you can move on to a more structured approach to using medication. Over-the-counter medications, lock, stock, and barrel are useless for sleep. And so at the end of the day, there's limited evidence that any of them work. Um, more concerning for me is that these stamp medications that really are antihistamines are sedating and, and actually blunt performance. That's not what we're looking for in an athlete. And so I've had, you know, national team athletes say, oh, I just take gravel, and I go, ah, no, <laughs> bad idea, um, because they sleep but they don't feel alert in the morning, and that's right. not the point. So I think um, just that approach has to stop. Um, they shouldn't be seeking drugs. They should be seeking proper help. And it also opens up the door for a massive, massive whirlwind of up and down, up and down, yep. sleep aids yep. to go to sleep, caffeine yep. and and, yep. and uh, alert, alert. Uh, I, I, well, energy drinks and, and uh, whatever you take, you know, on the dark side, it gets a little more serious with some of the athletes trying to stay awake and alert. So it opens up a, another door that's very problematic as well. Exactly. And then they lose what normal alertness is and cognition. And so that's, uh, you and I have talked about my work with the Red Bull eSport athletes, you know, where cognition is critical. Their, their ability to attend to a task because their sport is on, on screen. Um, and it's really important that athletes understand that these drugs have a significant blunting effect um, on their cognition and their attention, and attention and concentration are key in sport. And so we're, you know, we're trying to get them to understand that the brain requires rest to function optimally, and then we use other augmenting um, uh, interventions such as light therapy that is useful and very effective, but melatonin has tremendous downsides to it um, that athletes just aren't aware of. Plus, they're using it incorrectly anyway. Right. Uh, Dr. Charles Samuels, Medical Director for the Center of Sleep and Human Performance, also clinic Clinical Assistant Professor at the Cummings uh, School of Medicine at the UFC and uh, Adjunct Professor at the Faculty of Kinesiology at the UFC, among many, many other titles. Um, your body of work has been incredible, Dr. Samuels. And, and you know what? It's such an important conversation. Um, you mentioned the wearables as well and how misleading they can be. Do you like them sort of as a guideline or a tool or even just an awareness tool? Or are you sort of concerned about maybe some of the false leads the companies are giving to people who use the wearable technologies? So I think the, the bottom line, Jeff, when it comes to wearable technology, first and foremost, if a person's wearing it and it's helping them, I say carry on. Right. <laughs> if it's a positive thing, I don't even question them. I say, that's fine. Off you go. Um, I don't argue with them. But... Um, if I'm so, this is a big conversation in our national teams um, because they're buying all of these devices and spending tremendous amounts of money. And um, the question is, okay, is this the right way to do it? So, 
daily monitoring can be easily done with paper and just online questionnaires that can be done very quickly. So daily monitoring does not require wearable technology. Wearable technology is useful because it's convenient. So in an athlete who's wearing their watch like their Garmin or their Polar or whatever, um, they have sleep now apps within the watches. Um, it's useful for monitoring patterns of wake and rest. So um, I don't say sleep, I say rest. So because it is a movement device, it's not measuring sleep. It does not measure sleep. It measures movement. And so some of the devices are measuring heart rate variability, and, but no one has validated the relationship of heart rate variability to sleep stage as of yet. Um, it'll come. In time, it will come, and we will learn more. So I think what I say with wearable technology is if you want to monitor an athlete's behaviors, use the technology because it will give you some sense of what they're doing and are they getting enough rest or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep in mind, you know, we know the athletes are gaming. We know they're staying up late. We know that they're not getting enough sleep, um, partly because they're so busy with school and um, training, they don't have a lot of downtime. Um, but that's intruding into their recovery time. So um, the wearables are great for that. I really do like it. And the other thing I like about the paper side and some of the online um, evaluations or assessments, and like the one you guys have created, which is fantastic. I had a chance to look at it and, and actually uh, apply it. I have a lot more to learn on that one there. So I'm excited to talk to you guys more about that. But I also like the idea of an athlete, not just looking at a screen to get their evaluation, but understanding how to evaluate themselves. I see that in many, many different levels of sport, but the ability to self-evaluate or at least calibrate some form of self-evaluation, I believe is invaluable. Well, that's the key. So what we're trying to do and, and what's very easy for us to do in Canada, because in our sports system at the national sport organization level, so national teams, um, we have what are called integrated support teams, which is, is unique uh, in the world. And so we can disseminate this knowledge right to the IST, and then it goes out to the team. So <coughs> that's on a national level, though. It doesn't bleed down into, um, you know, uh, junior levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so educating the IST about self-monitoring and how to teach the athletes to do that is critical. So your point is well taken that... We have to put it in the hands of the athlete, so we either have to teach them how to use the wearables usefully or how to do daily monitoring and what it means so that they can get a sense of, um, okay, well, how much sleep do I need? Um, what's optimal for me? Because they, some of them don't even know, and that's what we're trying to do, and it's a lot easier for us in Canada than in other countries because we can get that out to all of the national teams in one fell swoop, which is why we developed the Athlete Sleep Screening Questionnaire the way we did so that all teams can get access to it, use it. It feeds back interventions. It tells the athlete whether they have a sleep problem or not. Um, and if they do, it gives them a solution to that. So, I mean, this is what we're trying to do. Um, and I think th- this is being promoted as well in mental health. Um, Dr. Uh, Carla Edwards is the one, um, you know, sort of leading that up. So we're doing a lot in Canada to help sort of the mental health recovery side that, really doesn't get a lot of attention in elite athletics. I really, really like this. It's such an important conversation and important work. And I guess it gets back to the roots of our conversation about problem solving and accurately defining the problems can help lead us to very, very effective solutions. 
We are proud to be joined by Crush Favorite, Dr. Charles Samuels, Medical Director for the Center for Sleep and Human Performance in Calgary. Uh, Dr. Samuels, we started talking about the idea of circadian rhythm, daily cycles, and even uh, light treatments for some people who are struggling out there. And I wanted to ask you about the daylight savings issue. A lot of research, a lot of opinions out there, but I wanted to get your opinion on the daylight savings. Is it necessary? Is it something that is probably more damaging than good, or are there strategies to deal with it? What's your opinion on the daylight savings? No, I think the time changes, um, you know, I have to always be careful with this because at the end of the day, it is one hour and most human beings can accommodate to one hour. This is, you know, me flying to, you know, Regina, for goodness sakes, it's just not that big a deal. But the fall time change, because it changes our exposure to light, um, in some individuals does cause a problem for the week following the time change. And so you can, you can strategize an adjustment process the week prior, but most people don't, you know, and I think in the fall we actually get the advantage of recapturing an hour of sleep, which is far more important um, than the one-hour displacement in the circadian um, rhythm, which really is inconsequential. So we don't consider jet lag to be a factor until you're moving three time zones east or four time zones west. So one hour is just irrelevant, you know. But some people are more sensitive than others, and there could be many other reasons than just the time change itself. It's the entry into the winter months. Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point, though. Um, The strategies, you know, people, if they're aware, again, conversations like this, just raising awareness. We know we're losing an hour. Gaining an hour is just a blessing for everybody. But losing that hour, I mean, that's something we could kind of plan for, at least be aware of. Yes, yeah. So when it comes to the springtime change, I'm always asking, you know, media to interview me earlier than right at the weekend Mm -hmm. so that we can talk about how to plan for the weekend because you want to, you know, not have not only lost one hour, but all the hours you lost that week, because we know that 30% of North Americans run around with a 10 to 15 hour sleep debt per week. And when you add one more hour on that, that can be quite significant, you know, because they're used to accommodating to their own sort of level of sleep debt, but you add another hour on that. So I always talk about making sure you get your sleep on that weekend. It's not a weekend to party. Um, whereas in the fall, you know, I just tell people to try and take advantage of the extra hour because that is far more important than the displacement. And that's separate from the issue of the time change. I don't particularly think we need a time change at this point in our history. It's unnecessary. It has serves no purpose, but we're a long way away, I think, from changing that. Yeah, great stuff. Oh, no, fantastic. And by the way, you have been officially logged in for the week before the time change. So I just yeah, put it in my phone great. while you were talking here. Sorry to double, yeah. sorry to, to uh, uh, multitask while we're talking, but no, it's no. in the books now, mister. <laughs> okay. No, that's good because then you get out and you can talk to people about how to plan that week. Yeah, um, I like and, it. Um, and be ready for it. Yeah, much like our athletes who uh, compete internationally, right? There's strategies, yeah. getting there exactly. early or, or, or banking up or building building up sleep prior to competition, very, very, very common strategies. Yeah, and so I think I wanted to mention this. You know, when I look at we've created a toolbox for athletes um, for this upcoming um, publication, and one of them is sleep banking, which 
is sort of newish, mm-hmm. and but there is evidence that you can bank sleep for periods of time where they're traveling and whatnot, and that's why I think it's important with the time change to say, you know, we have evidence that if you do bank sleep, it will help you out, um, and um, the sleep banking is going to be something that more research will be done on to see, you know, how to advise um, people and athletes, so shift workers and athletes, um, to to benefit from that. Hey, Doctor mm-hmm. Dr. Sam, is does this sort of maybe um, uh, reflect the findings of the Stanford Sleep Extension Studies? You know, getting a little more sleep or or forcing the athletes into a ten hour um, bedtime, whether they're sleeping or not. We saw an increase of sleep there, but also not just an increase in performance, but also uh, an increase in mood scores and and yeah. uh, awareness, alertness, and even comprehension. Yeah. So I think those are two separate things. Sleep extension and sleep banking are two different things okay. from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, there are multiple strategies, so you want to parcel them out so that you're clear with the teams or the athletes on how to use them. But yes, you're correct. Keep in mind, the evidence is there. Um, there are many people who um, argue with the strength of that ev- evidence from Sherry Ma's original studies. But the fact is that, if you, you know, the bottom line is with student-athletes, they're not getting enough sleep. That's the bottom line. Right. I don't care who they are, they're not. So just getting them more sleep is, is a benefit to them, and it will improve, definitely should improve their mood scores, and it definitely should improve their fatigue um, scores and hopefully translate into actual performance. So we, we do have that evidence, um, and so we promote it. Um, but the banking will compensate for when the athletes simply can't sleep extend. <clears throat> Right. On an ongoing basis. I understood. So it's more like over a period of time, just yeah. getting extra sleep over a period of time. Yeah, and it's planning it for some event that might be occurring or, um, you know, where they might be traveling to Europe, which would be an unusual thing or something like that. Oh, I love this stuff, especially when you see what's happening in the professional sports now. And again, because yeah. it's on the world stage and it turns out to be a real conduit for sharing information. Yeah. Um, the Yankees and the Red Sox playing in London in the middle of a season for right. games exactly. that actually mean mean something or the NFL or the NHL playing, um, this is where these conversations can really reach the public in mass. Yeah, and we, I have a colleague in Detroit who works with the, uh, the Red Wings and the uh, Tigers and the Lions, and so um, we've talked a lot about this because I think I can't remember who went over to Europe prior to the, yeah, I think it was the NFL. Um, and they played, and it was it was intermixed into the beginning of their season, and how do you manage it? So there are all kinds of strategies that we implement to try and help the athletes do better than what they would do on their own. It would just be pure survival from their perspective. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Dr. Samuels, thank you so much. Great conversation today, and I really appreciate the timing of this, especially after that conversation with those young athletes. I'll be sure to make sure uh, they share it. And for everybody listening, uh, please, please share this episode. Uh, Dr. Samuels, thank you so much. My pleasure. You take care, Jeff. Oh, such great stuff. Crush audience, mission accomplished. Such a great conversation once again with Crush favorite Dr. Charles Samuels from the Center for Sleep and Human Performance. Um, I love this stuff. It is just a matter of understanding what's going on. You know, like we say in our theory of problem solving, let's make our athletes, let's make our kids, our students, let's make our children problem solvers. And the best way to solve a problem is to clearly, accurately get an idea of what the problem is. You can start formulating and planning your attack 
on correcting or addressing the issues if you have a clear definition of what those issues are. And it's the exact same principles with sleep. Unfortunately, we're misguided, misinformed, and we're doing the wrong things that are probably setting us back more than they're helping us. And this is the number one takeaway for me. Listen to this. Over-the-counter medications, lock, stock, and barrel are useless for sleep. And so at the end of the day, there's limited evidence that any of them work. Um, more concerning for me is that these stamp medications that really are antihistamines are sedating and, and actually blunt performance. That's not what we're looking for in an athlete. And so I've had, you know, national team athletes say, oh, I just take gravel. And I go, uh, no, <laughs> bad idea. Um, because they sleep, but they don't feel alert in the morning. And right. that's not the point. So I think um, just that approach has to stop. Um, they shouldn't be seeking drugs. They should be seeking proper help. And there you have it. It's quite definitive from one of the world's leading experts on performance and sleep. And I want every one of my athletes to hear that comment because I know for a fact there are so many people out there and so many athletes that are turning to sleep aids to get to sleep and it's not addressing the problem. We need to address the problem. And like Dr. Samuel said, if there's a time where those sleep aids are necessary or some form of medication is necessary, then that's a tool that will be used to help those athletes get corrected or help those people get corrected. This goes well, well beyond sport people. And again, like we'd mentioned in our conversation was the spiral effect of using sleep aids, over-the-counter sleep aids, uh, non-prescribed sleep aids, and then trying to wake up and be alert and perform the next day. The vicious cycle of using something to help you get to sleep and then turning to caffeine and who knows what else. So I've seen it. It's not good and it's not healthy to get back up again to perform on the world stage or even just to feel good in the morning. The caffeine drinks and, well, you know what else goes on out there. And there's strategies that are safe and very, very, very effective. But you got to get with an expert. And unfortunately, like a lot of things nowadays, your family doctor probably doesn't have the background here. And, and, and again, there's too much for doctors to know now. It's impossible. God bless them. Angels on earth. But we have to make sure we get to the right people to steer us down the right path. And it's my hope that conversations like this will help not only you, but everybody you know, your family, co-workers, teammates, athletes, not only perform better in their sports, but also live longer, healthier lives. It's such an important conversation. So please share the show, spread the good word with us because how are people supposed to know about this if they haven't been exposed to the data, the science or conversations like this? Because as we always say in life, just like in sport, nobody does it alone when you're creating coachable players. I'm Jeff Kershell. Crush Performance is recorded right here in the Crush Studios. Our distribution partner is Radio Influence Digital Media. Website and educational material produced and directed by Debbie Kershell, Miss Crusher. Theme music, graphics, and video design by Noah Alexin at Nolexin Visual and Sound. And if you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, be sure to reach out to us, info at jeffkershell.com. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Crush Performance.